0: Hello everyone, this is the second episode of Bible Beyond, and today we're going to be learning about the Word of God. The passage we'll be referencing for this is 2 Timothy 3, 10-17. It says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, Aconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Bible is a very important book, so what I want to focus on today is why it's important, and how we can learn from the tremendous knowledge that it holds. All this and more on Bible Beyond. Something that Paul is famous for is his letters. He loved to write letters. From the time Paul first became a Christian all the way up to the point that he died, he spent his entire life traveling and establishing churches. Which is great. You could argue that Paul was one of the most effective missionaries. The problem is that Paul is just one person. And not only that... But he was constantly traveling around the globe, establishing those new churches. This means that there was no way for him to come back to each of those churches and check on them regularly. Because at that time, transportation wasn't nearly fast or efficient enough for him to do that. But the reality is that the people who were at these churches were oftentimes completely new to the Christian faith. And they still needed guidance as to how to live. So, Paul's solution was to write letters to them, that way he could still give them guidance and instruction over long distances. He wrote letters to the Philippians, the Ephesians, the Colossians. You may recognize that these sound a lot like different books in the Bible. That's because those letters to those churches were later classified as scripture. So he mainly sent letters to his churches, but he also wrote to his apprentices who he was mentoring. Paul sent letters to the people such as Titus and Timothy. And the book we've gotten this passage from is actually the second letter that he wrote to Timothy. He wrote two letters to him, and each one is filled with wisdom and advice and instruction. We know that Paul also had a very close bond with Timothy, and Paul was somewhat of a mentor for him. In fact, in Philippians 3.22, Paul goes as far as to say, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. These two figures were very close to one another. They had a bond like father and son. And while the ideas in this letter are meant for Timothy, there are still numerous lessons that we can draw from them today. In this specific passage, I believe that the main point is why we need the word of God in our life. Starting off in this passage of the book, Paul states that Timothy has fully embraced his doctrine. The traits that Paul has, such as his conduct and his aim in life, Timothy has also decided to live out. He even goes as far as to join Paul in his suffering. He has wholeheartedly embraced the way Paul lives. So how does Paul live? Well, if I read it again, it says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, and sufferings. Now, I could go over what each of those qualities entitles, but just as a summary, he's basically decided to live a Christ-centered life. For instance, his patience, his love, those are fruits of the Spirit. Also, his aim in life. He lived his life serving God, which he explains in Second Timothy 4.7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. So, in conclusion, I think that it's more than fair to say that this way of life that Timothy has embraced is that of a Christian, of someone who desires to be close to God. That's the kind of lifestyle Timothy has decided to live. And in the next part of the passage, Paul explains one of the results of that decision in verses 11 and 12. He says that Timothy has followed my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. At first, one may assume that because Paul was a Christian, then he would actually suffer less. Maybe if Paul's a good enough person, then God will cut him a break or something. Unfortunately, this isn't true in practicality. For one, Paul suffered a lot. Between his beatings and stonings and imprisonment, there was no shortage of struggles for him. The Bible says in Second Corinthians eleven twenty-four through 29 Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less once. Three times I was beaten with rods once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And, apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. It's very clear that Paul was not by any means exempt from misfortune because he was a Christian. In fact, in verse 12, Paul writes, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. What he's saying here is that being a Christian ensures suffering. Alongside that, it says that evil people will go on from bad to worse. So it looks like whether or not you're close to God, suffering is still an issue. Unfortunately, persecution in the early church was sadly common for the early apostles back then. But what's odd is that Paul says, from all his persecutions, the Lord delivered him. And that's definitely true. If you read through his life, you kind of start to notice a pattern. First, he would go someplace and preach the gospel. Then people would get mad at him. And they would put him in prison or whip him, or something along those lines; then lastly, he would be freed, whether that be through divine intervention or circumstances, in which case he would continue to travel and start the cycle all over again. so Yes, he went through a lot of suffering, but what's always intriguing is how Paul responded to that next sixteen five when he had been thrown in prison yet again, the Bible says. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Imagine if you were thrown in prison for doing something good. I think most of us would be angry with God, furious that he let this happen to us. But when this really happens to Paul, he starts singing. So to be clear, Paul and the evildoers are both suffering... Paul says that the evildoers go on from bad to worse, and that all who desire to live as a Christ follower will face persecution. What's different is their attitude. Where everyone else would be disappointed, Paul seems too busy praising God to notice his unfortunate situation. So here's my question. What's the difference between them that causes their attitude to be so drastically different. Well, obviously, in order for them to have a different attitude about the whole situation, there has to be something that separates the evildoers and Paul. Luckily for us, in the next few verses, Paul kind of inadvertently explains why this is. I'll read once more to refresh your memory. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's where we find the answer. The difference between Paul and everyone else is that he has the word there are a few phrases that give this way you see he says sacred writing scripture he's referring to the word of god that's the difference paul has he has the word with him now yes that's great and all but how does that change his mindset during suffering well what matters is what is written in the scripture that's what's important, the content of the scripture that he is so inspired by. Now, with that in mind, in order to understand why Paul is pressing Timothy to invest his time with the scripture, let's figure out what the word is. Luckily for us, the Bible has a lot to say about the word, but I want to focus on a few verses that outline a much different perspective of the Bible than how we usually think of it. First is John 1, 1 1-5, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of all men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. These can be a very confusing set of verses. Mainly because he never specifically states what the Word actually is. He just seems to be giving us hints about it. He tells us that the Word is with God and that it is God and that it's the light of all men, but he never defines it. He just continues describing it. So for this question, this confusing part of the Bible, let's turn to a wonderful resource, the Matthew Henry Commentary. I first figured out what John is talking about in the Matthew-Henry Commentary, which is an excellent tool. It's incredibly detailed, and it walks you through every passage step by step. In many cases, for every five verses, there could easily be two to three pages of interpretation. So, I think it's a phenomenal resource. But aside from that, Matthew-Henry basically says that Jesus is a message to us. He is the Word of God. And apparently it can be very difficult to infer what John is talking about from the English text, because it sounds so vague. However, in the Hebrew version that this was translated to, not that I know Hebrew, but it's supposed to be very clear that John is speaking of Jesus. Matthew goes over the Hebrew and stuff, but the important part is when he writes, And thus Christ is the Word. For by him God has, in these last days, spoken to us, and has directed us to hear him. He has made known God's mind to us, as a man's word or speech makes known his thoughts, as far as he pleases, and no further. Christ is called that wonderful speaker, the speaker of things hidden and strange. He is the word speaking from God to us, and to God for us. John the Baptist was the voice, but Christ the Word. Being the Word, he is the truth, the Amen, the faithful witness of the mind of God. So the Word of God is actually Jesus. Jesus is the great message that God has for us. And I think this is confirmed in a way in Hebrews 1, 1 through 2, when the Bible says, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and then this is crucial, through whom he also created the world. You may remember that John also says, all things were made through him. This is the word that John speaks so highly of. It's Jesus. Today, when we think of the word Word We typically think of either a single word or maybe occasionally a collection of words. But what John is saying is much different. He says that God's word is who God is. It's his character. And that makes sense. That checks all of the boxes that John gives us. If we just take the first verse in the first chapter of John, for example, in the beginning was the word. Okay, well, God exists forever. Forever includes the beginning, therefore God did exist in the beginning. Also, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's also correct. God is God, so he must be with God. Here's the conclusion that we should come to. The Word of God is simply who God is. The Word of God is God's character, and this character is embodied in Jesus. Jesus is the person who John is describing. So with that in mind, when Paul is so encouraged in these seemingly unbearable sufferings, it's because of Jesus. It's because of God's word. It is the message that God did love us enough to die, and that because of that, there's a place in heaven where Paul will someday spend eternity with God. That's the difference that Paul has, which dramatically shifts his perspective. I think that Paul has one of the most dramatically changed lives ever. His conversion is extraordinary. We typically think of Paul as a really good person who spread the message of Jesus and all of that, but he wasn't always that way. In fact, there was a time where he didn't know the Lord, and his name wasn't even Paul. It was Saul. And Saul, at this time, was a horrible person. He hated Christians and was out to kill every single one of them. One day, he threatened the Christians with death while he went to the priest to get permission to throw them in prison. This was the last person you would think would experience the life-changing grace of Christ. But then, while he's on his way to Damascus, he meets the Lord. The Bible says in Acts chapter 9, 3-9, through 9, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. This in itself is amazing, the fact that he, of all people, is blinded by God's glory. But I think the real miracle is what happens afterwards. Afterwards, when Paul gets his sight back... Paul starts proclaiming the name of Jesus. The same person who was out to murder the followers of Jesus became one of its greatest advocates. The Bible says in Acts 9, 20-21, And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? To put that in perspective, imagine if Hitler started proclaiming Jesus. Imagine if the man who killed so many innocent people, they had to create a word for it, which we now know as genocide, started to promote the very thing he sought to destroy. I understand Saul wasn't nearly as lethal as Hitler was, but just imagine if that happened. That would be shocking. The entire world would be stunned. And that's the exact reaction that people had when Paul changed. They were so surprised. They were awestruck. They could not believe that this was the same person. It was the same person, but there was one big difference. That was Jesus and the Word of God. When Paul asked who he encountered when he was blinded, he said, I am Jesus. That is the name, the Word, that changed Paul's life forever. This story demonstrates how important the Word of God is, and it probably helps us to understand why Paul wants Timothy to hold on to the Word. But one thing I would like to point out is that it carries tremendous supernatural power. One of the best examples, the creation of the world. There wasn't any sort of experimental process that God used to create everything. He actually did it by speaking. The Bible says in Genesis 1-3, And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Not only does he create light with his words, but he also created everything else, By speaking it into existence. This leads to two important points. First of all, I think this is an incredible example of God's power. The fact that God did not have to do some sort of magic trick or do a complicated experiment. He just spoke it into existence. is amazing. That's unbelievable power. It honestly kind of makes me wonder what he could do if he really tried. But second of all, and this leads to my next point, the same word he used to create the universe, he also gave to us. The word used by the creator of the universe to create the universe is available to us through the death of Jesus Christ. In John 14, 6, Jesus, whom we have already established as the word, says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The reason God gave us this word to us is because we so desperately need it, but how can we take advantage of it? Well, to start off, he gave us his word in the form of the Bible. The Bible is composed of 66 individual books written over a period of 1,600 years. It also happens to be by far the best-selling book of all time, with over 5 billion copies being sold. Because of this, it's had a tremendous impact on our society. Many holidays, moral standards, and even other religions are based on ways written in the Bible. And I think that there are three main ways in which we can use this wonderful gift God has given to us. First of all, we can read it. I know this sounds very obvious, but many of us as Christians kind of gloss over that part. We leave it for the weekend, oh, but then something comes up and it gets pushed back to some other time. The reality, though, is that this should take precedent in our lives. This should be very important. Again, from the original passage, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. It is useful for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We need it for teaching, reproof, righteousness, and correction. Those few words cover a ton of material. We could make an episode dedicated to those things alone. Luckily, Paul just summarizes the whole passage by saying that the man of God may be complete. There it is. The reason we need to be familiar with this word is so that we are equipped for every good work. In fact, the Bible says something similar in Psalm 119.105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The reason the psalmist says this is because the Bible is here to help us through life, to help guide us, which is very useful. However, it's not helpful if we don't read it. If we don't learn from it, we can't understand its wisdom. So first and foremost, Most importantly, should just be taking some time to read the Word of God. I think the most common excuse for not reading the Bible is that we don't have time. And it's true that we can become very busy and inundated with our lives. Me, for instance, I had to write this podcast. But this is what I always tell myself when I know I have to sit down and read God's Word, but there just doesn't seem to be time. I say, okay. Do I have time to read the Bible? No, theoretically not. Do I have time to be busy? Yes. So the reality is time does exist. It's just being allocated to things other than the Bible. Yes. So in reality, I do have the time. I have time to be busy. Therefore, I have time to read the Bible. Now, please understand. I'm not saying that... As Christians, we have to commit to four hours of reading scripture, a church service every morning, and then don't sleep, just pray all night. No, 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 please don't do that. That's counterproductive. At a certain point, we're actually no longer doing the will of God by ignoring our daily responsibilities. That said, I think that there are many cracks in our day when we're not really doing anything. If you take public transportation to work or school, That could be an opportunity to engage in God's Word. Maybe play an audio Bible while you're doing a mundane task. And I think that all of us could afford to wake up just 10 minutes earlier for some time with the Lord without disturbing the rest of our day. Now, there are many situations where you can't read the Bible. There are, sadly, many situations where you don't have the luxury of being able to sit down for a while and consult the Word of God. What if there's an emergency and you don't have time to read the Bible? Or what if it's something less serious, like you simply don't happen to have access to a Bible at that current time? In those situations, it's helpful to have the Word of God memorized. That way, you have the truth implanted in your memory. The Bible says in John 1.8, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will be able to make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Also in Deuteronomy 11.18, You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. You shall bind them as a sign to your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Although it's great to be able to call up Bible verses, I think the main and oftentimes overlooked benefit to having scripture memorized is that we start to think differently. As we established in our last episode, humans are naturally sinful. In Job 14, 1-2, the Bible says, Man is born of a woman and is few of days and full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. When we're born, we're born with a sinful nature. And that continues indefinitely unless we have the truth in us. Psalm 58.3 says, I have stored up your word in my heart, that I might not sin against you. The reason the psalmist does this is because when we're familiar with the word, the less prone we are to sin, and we're more likely to live a godly life because the word of God The unique character that God has is now a part of us. The truth that is Jesus now resides in our hearts and minds. Now if we have the word of God in our hearts, then there's one more thing we should be doing with it, which leads to my last point. If we've memorized some scripture, God now commands us to meditate on it. Psalm 1-2 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Typically, we think of meditation as something that's supposed to clear our minds, where you stop thinking of everything and just focus on your breathing, or something like that. But the Bible here actually gives a very different take on meditation. It tells us to do the opposite. Instead of getting rid of everything in our minds, we're supposed to fill it with the Word of God. There are a few reasons why the word is such a great thing to have our minds focused on. For one, the Bible makes it very clear that whatever we think dictates how we live. In Proverbs 23, 7, the Bible says, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating. In this case, I actually prefer the King James version of this verse, which says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. That means that who we are is dependent on on what we think and set our minds on. If we want to continue to think about things that are evil and depressing, we'll actually evolve into that kind of person. But what God says we should do is fill our minds with his word. Because his word is the perfect goodness and love of God embodied in Jesus. What does Paul say Timothy should do? Paul says that Timothy should continue in what he has learned, From the scripture, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I hope that we all understand the profound meaning and importance of God's word a little better now. So let's close in prayer. Dear God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to read and learn from it, so that we can have the same attitude that Paul did, even in misfortune. Please let us find time to engage in reading your word and let us dwell on it day and night. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been the second episode of Bible Beyond. I'd like to give a huge thank you to my grandfather, Paparon, for creating the great music you're listening to right now. And thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more, check back with us on the first of every month, when we'll have a new episode ready. Have a great day.